0: Cast now with Derek Bell
1: Steve Schultz for that great theme song, and thanks to you for checking out the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. On this edition, I spoke with three entertainers who are doing pretty interesting things these days, and those are Derek Sanders, Vicky Guerrero, and Stole Vaughn. First up is my interview with Derek Sanders. Millions of people know him as the frontman of the band Mayday Parade, but Derek actually just released an EP called My Rock and Roll Heart back in February. The roots of that project actually go back to a valentine's day gift that he'd given his wife we spoke about that future plans for May Day parade influences hobbies outside of music and more hey derek how's it going there hello hey very well how are you great thank you so where am i getting you right now where are you on tour i'm in nashville tennessee right now beautiful nashville tennessee well the new ep just came out how long had it been in the works for
2: a pretty long time um honestly yeah so the the first song that I recorded for the EP uh, was back in 2017, um, and uh, it was pretty much exactly three years ago. It was it was on Valentine's Day of 2017. Uh, so yeah, and then you know I just uh, kind of took my time getting it all together, and then through throughout the next you know year and a half or two years or so from there, I was when I recorded the rest of the songs, and then uh, and then now here we are.
1: And the EP is titled After a Lyric from a Praise Chorus by Jimmy Eat World.
2: Was that the first song that you chose for the EP? Yeah, it wasn't the first song. Um, the, the first song that I recorded was actually the first track on the EP. It's called Butt Lauren. Uh, it's a cover of a guy named Mike Hansen. Um, and then um, a Praise Chorus actually is a song that so before I decided to even do this EP, I had played a, a couple of Um, I guess kind of like events in Tallahassee or whatever, and just like played some short little acoustic sets and a a praise chorus is one of the songs that, that I did for that. And one of those was with uh, Daniel Lancaster who, um, you know, we'd talked about, you know, playing something together and he came out and sang a praise chorus with me live. And then from there it was kind of like, yeah, like, you know, it works really well and decided to, to put it on the EP. And I just, whenever I was, uh, trying to come up with, you know, what to title it. I just, I love that lyric and, and thought it kind of just, you know, fit the whole, you know, uh, vibe of the EP pretty well and just went with it.
1: And that song notably has the cameo with Davey from The Promise Ring, who the singer of Jimmy World was influenced by and was also a friend. Is
2: Daniel in that sort of role for you as well? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's someone that I've, that I've known for a long time since I was probably about um, probably since I was about 17 years old. Um, so around like 2005, I guess, is probably when I met Daniel. And he's uh, he's an incredibly talented dude and a great friend. And we've, you know, been able to work on lots of music together. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it is kind of a similar thing.
1: And having this EP out there, does that give you a hunger to do a full-length solo album?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, in, in fact, I, I've actually already recorded a handful of, of songs, um, uh, of, you know, like original material. And uh, I, I, I plan on going back in to finish up. I, I'll probably, I'd probably start with doing another EP um, and then kind of, you know, see whatever happens from there. But yeah, I, I do like the idea of, of doing another EP. And then I, I also kind of, I'm already itching to get back in and record some more covers as well um and and just see kind of what happens i guess you know m- maybe one day you know tackling something you know as big as like a, like a full length would, would be cool it's just you know it's, it's tough with this because obviously you know mayday parade is is pretty busy and is still my first priority and so i kind of in any of the stuff for this solo project i kind of just work on whenever i have time in between mayday stuff and so um. I just want we'll to kind of see just what that schedule allows in the future. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely doing these shows has got me really just, you know, pumped on this whole project. And it's just something different than I've ever done before. And it's it's nice after 14 years of being in Mayday Parade to do something that's, you know, maybe a little bit challenging and, and kind of out of my comfort zone. And uh, it's, just, it's been a lot of fun being out here.
1: And it sounds like a lot to juggle between Mayday Parade and the solo stuff that you're doing. Do you have any creative outlets outside of music?
2: Honestly, not really so much. Uh, there's, you know, small little things that I get into, small little projects. Um, something that I, uh, a couple of years back, Cabbage uh, from, or, or Jeremy, our, the bass player of a Parade, we all call him Cabbage, but um, we actually, we, we shot a, a short movie on tour. It's kind of like a, a silly like cheesy action movie that we shot a couple years ago that we have never that we still haven't finished like putting it all together um but uh so i guess if, if that kind of counts as you know like a creative project then that's something that's we you know still work on but other than that i mean not really I, I i play a lot of video games that's kind of what my other you know big i guess you know passion and uh, other than music is. uh I spend a good bit of time playing video games but that you know doesn't really count i guess is you know working on something creatively but yeah
1: it's kind of a cliche to ask who are your influences to a, a musician but what was the first band that really made you want to pick up an instrument in the first place
2: yeah um i guess i would probably say smashing pumpkins would be um the first band that because when it, so when i was a kid you know i i uh, you know i I'd listen to the music that my parents would would play and um but but my my oldest brother, who's four years older than me i i remember very well the day that i mean I, I was probably probably uh, seven years old or seven or eight years old or somewhere around there that he sat me down and and showed me uh, the song today off of sign Me stream by smashing pumpkins and that was definitely like a, like a life changing, uh, kind of, you know, event like, and, and I was like, you got to show me more. Like you got to, like, and, and I just, you know, it was, he would, he showed me all these bands. all this, It was a lot of like, you know, nineties alternative rock kind of stuff and got really into all of, you know, yeah Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins and Bush and Oasis and, you know, all, all that stuff. But, um, certainly that moment of listening, uh, sitting down listening to today, um, with like the, you know, opening of the door for, for all that. And, and not too long after that is when I got my first acoustic guitar and started kind of learning how to play some of those songs and started messing around with writing songs and, and all that.
1: So you definitely start out with great influences, but did you ever have a ska phase?
2: You know, I never did have a ska phase. I, I always thought that ska was really fun. And I always, there's a bunch of like ska bands that we would play with in early you know, shows. And, you know, before I was in Mayday Parade and I was in other local bands and we'd, we'd play with a bunch of ska bands that I thought were were really cool and really fun. But I I never really listened to a whole lot of ska, I guess, outside of that, honestly, but I, but I do appreciate it. And I think it's like just, yeah, super fun music. And no hair metal either? Um, not really. I was, I was a really big fan of Metallica, Um, when I was in middle school and there was a period of time where like I just I tried to learn how to play like every single Metallica song Um, but that's that's probably the you know there weren't a lot of other bands like that that I got really into. So it sounds
1: really like you started with the good influences and you never got off track. Before you said that you are slowly recording stuff for maybe an eventual solo album and you're doing covers and all that but what does the rest of 2020 look like for you are you keeping very busy with Mayday Parade?
2: Yeah absolutely so we're actually going into the studio uh, in about a week and a half and uh, going into we've 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 been kind of you know bouncing around uh, late last year we went into the studio and recorded a couple songs and we're going in to record five more and we don't even really know yet honestly what like if we're if we're you know if this is album number seven or if we might you know split it up into an ep or two or what it's gonna what it's gonna look like um but we're kind of just approaching it as like um just taking the best songs that we have right now and recording them and just kind of seeing where it goes and and in fact I, i imagine once we get together um here pretty soon we'll we'll have some we need to have some conversations about you know what our what our plan is with all that but uh, so we'll we'll be in the studio and then we have uh, this tour in April that we're doing with grayscale and Point North. Um, and then we' are, we're doing a handful of international stuff some of it's announced and some of it hasn't been announced yet but some some festivals uh in the u k and in, in Europe um, and I imagine we'll do uh, you know we, we typically we'll do a, a fall uh, headline u s tour and we'll probably do that again and so you know, stay pretty busy with all that, and then uh, and 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 if it works out, I'll, I'll plan on trying to work on some more solo stuff, kind of in those in those gaps, and and maybe even do a couple more short little runs like this, where I just kind of hop around and play a few solo shows, and just see whatever whatever makes sense. Really, sounds
1: like there's never a dull moment for you. So keep being respectful of your time here. Any last words for the kids?
2: You know, thank you for the support and thank you for the opportunity. It really this is, you know, I, uh, playing music is something that I've wanted to do since I was very young, and and was it's, it's always been just a huge part of my life. And it's 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 kind of amazing that we've been in Metal Parade for over 14 years now, and um, you know, most most bands don't get the opportunity to to make it that long and to and to still tour at the level that we do. And so we we certainly you know are we appreciate the the chance to be able to do it and to to still be around and and so it you know it means a lot and and to be able to start a new project um you know after all this time and the the response has been really awesome so far and uh yeah we're just i'm 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 very grateful
1: well thank you so much for your time hope to do another interview in the future where i find out about the video games but looking forward to your solo work and really thanks for your time derek absolutely thanks for having me Next up is my interview with Vicky Guerrero. Yes, that Vicky Guerrero, the one that was on WWE television for more than a decade, regularly yelling, excuse me, and interfering in matches, and all sorts of things like that. But I had the pleasure of meeting Vicky on the Chris Jericho Cruise. That's short for the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager that was back in January of this year. After one of her performances, I spoke with Vicki and said, hey, can I interview you? And she said, OK, here's my email address and business card. Wrote her and sure enough, you hear back. And she's eager to get on the phone. And I could not have had a more pleasant experience. It really is one of those things where the heels or the villains in wrestling turn out to be the greatest people. Now, Vicki these days is podcasting. Her podcast is called Excuse Me. What else would it be called, of course? She talks to wrestlers and all sorts of entertainers on there, getting a behind-the-scenes look at their journey, to say it politely. But she's also found success in fine arts kind of work. She also just wrapped an acting project, and that's another direction she's looking to go in the near future. Because, let's face it, wrestling is largely acting. So we're talking about somebody who acted on a weekly television show for well over a decade. think you're going to enjoy this one as well. We're here to talk about what you've been up to the past couple of years, which is a lot. And the first big thing is, excuse me, the Vicki Guerrero show, which a lot of people already love. You're getting a lot of great names, which seem to be a lot of friends from your past and present. Who or what was it that inspired you to launch a podcast?
3: Well, you know, I, I never thought about, you know, having a podcast because my forte was being interviewed all the time. So that was the easy part. Uh, but when my uh, co-host, Gerald Strauss, uh, he had interviewed me before and I knew him through the years and he said, you know, would you ever be interested in doing a podcast? And I thought, well, you know, I I'm not tech savvy to do like all the connections and you know, the um, you know, the editing and stuff. And he says, I'll take care of that. I just need your name. <laughs> so he pretty much put it really simple that, you know, if, if I get your name, then we can do this together. And it, we hit it off and we make a great team and everything has just been really a lot of fun. I love researching the people i love uh having you know them come on the show and just it's my chance to highlight someone else and it's been a lot of fun because there's some really great talent from all kinds of genres that i'm loving to put them on the spotlight and you know showcase what they've been up to
1: and on the first episode you kind of talk about your mission statement is to be directly in touch with the fans and at the same time your friends and all that who was the first guest that you would Booked, or at least you thought, Hey, this is the person that should be on the first episode.
3: um you know it was I think it was more about availability, um you know because as you know, you know you try and get guests and content, and it all depends on everyone's schedule, but I mean uh, my my first one was Edge, you know, and Michelle McCool, so the, I think I did them in the first week, and I just love these guys dearly, and so we had a lot to talk about with us working together, and then we also have a friendship outside you know the business. So it was just a perfect fit and everything ran really smooth. And I love to talk. So it wasn't hard for me to get up conversation with, <laughs> with these guys.
1: <laughs> and the first episode also refers to the fact that people call you the queen of mean, but you really do have this heart <laughs> of gold. When was it that you realized that you could show your true personality and be yourself whenever you wanted? it?
3: Um, gosh, you know, that's a good question. You know, it. I guess I went through a lot of stages of trying to find my own identity, you know, before Eddie was, uh, had passed, um, you know, I was his wife, I was the mom of the girls and I kind of had a, you know, kind of stayed behind, you know, and, and my focus was to get Eddie, you know, to, you know, um, he was a star and it was my job to kind of keep everything together. Um, it took me a while after Eddie passed in, I went on to WWE to be one of the, the superstars. It took about a good, you know, five months to believe in myself, you know, that I could do this. And, um, you know, they call me the queen of mean, but you know, when they pay you to be, you know, a mean person, it's very easy to find that inner bitch. <laughs> and um, but you know, at the same time, it was really important for me uh, to play this villain character. But when I see people outside, um, you know, in public and outside the ring and in hotels, I'm I'm very real, and I I don't I don't play the villain at all unless I have to. But I just want to show people that you know, there's a character, and then there's the real me. And I try and be down to earth and just, you know, I love talking to people and meeting people from different, you know, parts of the world. So I'm kind of factuated with everyone else because, you know, when they want to come and talk to me, I I forget why. (laughs) And so I get very humbled because um, they want to, you know, come and get to know me a little bit more. So I try and open that, you know, with every conversation I have.
1: And I had the pleasure of seeing you on the Jericho cruise, and you were definitely a hit among <laughs> the 2,200 or so cruisers that were on there. And yeah. when somebody starts to do live podcasts, it's a sign that they're not only doing well as a podcaster, but people also start to clamor for other kinds of entertainment, you know, live one person shows, a book and all that. Mm-hmm. Are you looking towards that as a podcaster, or is it really just you want to do the podcast and that's what the focus is?
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, the reason I love the podcast is because I can do this forever, you know, as long as, you know, by the grace of God that I'm able to do this and interview people and, you know, find content, I am willing to be here for the long run, Um, you know, but I do have other projects and I do have other things that my eyes are set on, but the podcast is such a great fit because I can do this on my off time. And it's not something that I need to, you know, stop my other projects from doing. So it works out really well with the schedule I have now.
1: And speaking of those other projects, I remember reading a couple of years ago that you were doing a scrapbook for the Bella Twins. And I think a lot of people read that <laughs> and they went, wait, Vicki does scrapbooking. So can you tell me more about your artistic background and your crafts projects?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I've done crafts since the girls were babies. Um, I picked up scrapbooking. I even have my own store in Tampa. And I love scrapbooking because, um, of course, you can take pictures of when the kids are young and journal and, you know, keep those memories in, in these books that I create. And when the Bella's mom, Kathy Laurinaitis, had came up and said, you know, hey, I want you to do some for the girls. It was just it was I was humbled and, you know, excited. And I, we also had done an art show for one of the WrestleManias, and they were asking the talent to do different art projects. So I thought, well, gosh, I'll do you know, a scrapbook frame of different uh, superstars. And it was just a lot of fun. And um, I've I've always done it on my off time. And I've always been a crafter. I love to paint uh, wine bottles and work with cactuses and, you know, putting the, the cactus in the wine bottles. And if I'm not painting, I'm scrapbooking. So I always have, and I'm always living at Hobby Lobby. If you go on my Instagram, I'm always bragging about how I would do anything for a Hobby Lobby free you know shopping spree so it's kind of the joke in my life
1: (laughs) interesting so if somebody were to hire you for a scrapbook what is it besides cash of course that they have to provide for you to get started do they have to just send you some artifacts or give you a theme
3: I'm I'm very particular Um, it takes a lot of work before I even start the project because I need I need to hear the story of what the book is going to be about whether it's a, a baby book or a graduation or a wedding um, I like to consult with them and get their ideas and look at the pictures, and also, the client has to be very detailed in what the, in what each picture is saying because I have to you know put that story on a page and so I look for a lot of facts, names, you know what was going on, what the situation is, and then I have different color schemes that people pick from, and I carry that through the book so it's a lot of artistic you know touches and um, and of course, the price depends on how much you know they want to embellish the book with, uh, you know, different papers and um, you know decorations you can put on the page. And then also the price is about the time that it takes. And I think one scrapbook um, can probably average about uh, probably five to six hundred dollars. It depends on how many pictures there are and what they want to do for that book.
1: I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> listening to this will be reaching out to you in the near future. You can just submit an inquiry through your website, I take it, for scrapbooks?
3: Yeah, on my email at Um I try and keep my clientele, you know, I'll Skype with them. Or I love when they're in Houston where I live, you know, because I can actually meet with them and look at all their, look at their stories that they have. And it's, I'm really um, particular and picky about, you know, the person's, you know, pictures, because that's their memories, that's their family, their loved ones. And so I make sure that we understand each other, what they want to say in that book. And I carry it through to the end of the project.
1: Well, going back to your podcast, you said that you found something that you can do for the rest of your life, which is, of course, wonderful to have a creative outlet like that. Do you have plans, if all went amazing, to do it more than once or twice a week? Or is that just the right amount for you?
3: No, I love to be busy. Actually, I'm probably bored right now. <laughs> um, you know, I did the Chris Jericho Cruise, and I do Comic-Cons and different conventions. Uh, my, my heart goes to acting. I just finished a short film here in Houston that we, we filmed over the weekend. And, um, you know, so I have an acting agent who's looking out for projects for me to star. And that's my big goal for 2020 is to be in a movie or a TV series. Um, you know, so I, I do acting classes during the week. And do my podcast, um, and then also do interviews, like for yourself. <laughs> so I'm always trying to, uh, you know, keep busy, promote, you know, and, and publish my own content, and then also working on my book. That's been taking a lot of my time. So when I'm not, when I'm down, you know, downtime, and I have nothing to do, I have my computer, and I'm always writing on my book. That's going to be published this year.
1: Wow, I didn't realize you had a book in the works. Any hint you can give us as to somebody writing a forward or an introduction for it?
3: Um, I I do have someone who's going to, I think Tamina Snuka is going to be one of the ones that will write the foreword. Uh, That's something that's uh, always been dear to my heart. She went through a lot of my road travels with me and we share a lot of the common interests. And so it's hard to say, you know, if if I could have 10 people write it for me, but we'll see when that time comes and what the editor wants. But yeah, she's someone that's uh, made a big impact uh, when I was at WWE.
1: And you've been very open, which is wonderful with me so far. But is there anything that you wish more people knew about you in general?
3: Um, Wow, Darren, let's see. (laughs) I think I'm pretty much an open book. Um, I'm very, I I think I'm a little bit of OCD. You know, I love to be on time. I I hate being late to things. Uh, I'm very, you know, um, I'm very organized. I'm a planner. So looked on my desk I have a bunch of things to do list and I check them off as I finish them uh, so I guess I, I've kind of you know gained that um gained that behavior from WWE because we just I had to plan everything precisely with my girls and being on the road but uh yeah that's something that I am is very organized
1: great so in closing Vicky any last words for the kids
3: um gosh you know what uh the kids are just really dear to my heart you know I I try and uh be the person that they meet on the streets i'm very humbled i always uh tell everyone to always have your faith and whatever it is to have a higher power that's going to give you that motivation and uh the strength to get through whatever you're going through in your day and just to whatever you're going to do make sure that you're loving it so it doesn't feel like work it's going to feel like you're you're at a playground every day
1: Last, but definitely not least, is my interview with Stoll Vaughn. This one happened in a very unique kind of way. I posted an interview online that I did with Devin Allman, son of Greg Allman from the Allman Brothers Band, and I got a reach out saying, hey, saw that piece you did on Devin? What would you think about speaking with a guy who co-wrote a lot of those songs on that album? So I did my research and sure enough found out that Stoll not only did that, but was involved with Carl from My Morning Jacket and a lot of rock greats. So I jumped at the chance to speak with him by phone, found him to be an incredibly nice guy. We not only spoke about his upcoming solo album, which is out this month, we spoke about his journey from being you know, a kid who went to performing arts school to being an in-demand songwriter, producer, collaborator, and singer-songwriter in his own right. I gladly talk with Stoll any day of the week. And I think you're going to come away with that same impression after you listen to this one. I believe we were connected by Ben after he saw an article that I did on Devin Allman. How did you get into the picture of the
0: Allmans and the Betts and all that? Well, I, I was, uh, I kind of uh, started writing with Dwayne and produced his uh, sketches of American music. And so, and then Devin, um, wanted to take Dwayne out as an opener. And so they went out yeah. and it was, okay, we should try to write together. And, uh, and since I'm kind of the writing guy for uh, Dwayne, Dwayne was like, well, I'd love to have my buddy stall come out. And so I just flew out to Oklahoma city and we just started writing. And it really worked. I mean, the first from kind of the first writing session, I just jumped on the bus and started writing. And then we got the first record on about, and it was about Different trips, and then you know, this new record that's coming. Um, we we focused you know this past year on that,
1: and it's very interesting to me when I look at your credits how many legends and rock and roll Hall of Famers you've worked (laughs) with or toured with or anything like that. How did this become your career path where all these high level people were your friends pretty young?
0: Well, I got a good start. I came, um, I went down to uh, Bloomington, Indiana, and like, uh in 98, after I graduated from high school. And I just, um, you know, I got involved with kind of the Mellencamp world, uh, this guy, Mike Wanchek, who's been with Mellencamp for 45 years. And he had a studio called Echo Park at the time. And, and, um, you know, one thing about, uh, about Mellencamp and all that, uh, is that they had been involved with great songwriters, whether it's James McMurtry or John Prine or Dylan or, you know that camp had had been on that high level and um and i didn't maybe didn't understand it then but um you know i wasn't i didn't understand like how you do music you know i i just figured you just play guitar go into a studio and so I, I asked mike i said i want uh i want to just make a record and he said do you have any songs i said no and he kind of uh from that point forward took me under his wing and said you know, you got to write songs. You got to write songs. And, and, um, and so that's been my focus. So I kind of had the mentorship of, of those guys. And then from there, it kind of um, slingshotted me uh, into being able to do a lot of the cool things that I've done.
1: And when I look at your history, I've read that you also attended Interlochen, which is kind of yeah. like Junior Berkeley. Josh Groban went there. Uh, Singer-songwriter Tracy Bonham went there. Sam Hyken from New Deco went there. When you went to Interlochen, did you go with any other people that readers or listeners to this might know as household names these days?
0: Household names, maybe not so much. I mean, a lot of them. You know, a lot of people are playing with with good orchestras. And you know, my best friend, my roommate, is Austin Lynch, which is David Lynch's son, um, and he's done really well. Um, so, but yeah, interlocking, you know, it's funny though, cause I, I didn't understand, um, conservatories or that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was, it's a freak show up there. I mean, you have like 14 year old kids that are going to Juilliard the next year, you know? Um, cause they're so, you know, they're, they're just, uh, geniuses of what they do, whether it's marimbas or violin or French horn. I mean, it's like, what? So it was a great experience for me. I, I was, I, if I really wanted to take that route when I was there, I had an option of taking the route of the conservatory, which would have, which I would have had to stay at Interlochen for a post-grad year. And then you go to, you know, uh, Indiana university or Juilliard or, uh, I, I don't think I would have gotten into Juilliard, but, or, um, Berkeley. Uh, but I made the decision that, uh, through the creative writing, um, teacher, head of the department up there, he said, Stahl, you need to, you know, go out and have life experiences if you don't want to be a classical musician. I I said, you're right, man, I'm out. So I didn't understand how great it was until I've been able to go back and teach and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's incredible.
1: I do know that, Damien and Tim from the band okay go met at interlock and any chance you were there at the same time as them?
0: I don't know. they might have met during the summer camp. It sounds like uh I would have known those guys because it's a pretty tight knit community I mean I spent one year there, most people do two years for the high school, some do four, uh, and then they've got the uh the summer camp that's uh that has a lot more people to go to it but maybe i mean i I I would know those guys though. No, I didn't, I wasn't there with them.
1: Well, bringing it back to you, you do a lot of different things. (laughs) You have done a lot of different things to some people. You're a singer songwriter to other people, you're a composer to other people. You've done A&R, but how do you like to be thought of in general?
0: I think a songwriter. I mean, I think that's kind of, that's what I am. Um, There was a time there when I was doing a lot of production and, and, uh, and I had an artist development company, which, uh, I had some partners, and so I was a little bit confused. Then, if somebody asked me what I was doing, I'd be like, "Well, I produce things, I write songs for them." But the bottom line is, I'm a songwriter, and I, and and when I'm working with artists, since I am a, a a performing artist, I can understand where they are, you know. So I'm not just writing songs in a vacuum, um, and then saying, "Hey, you got to do this song." I'm writing songs directly with with artists. And so I'm I, all I'm trying to do is, like, say with Devin and Dwayne is, is just get their story. I don't really care if it's the perfect, you know, um, you know, the perfect song. Is if it's their story, it will be the perfect song for them. And uh, and you know, all the little tweaks of whether the bridge is long enough or short enough or right or this or that, those things. That's like that's the craft of songwriting, and and that's an easy. That's the easy process. The hard process is, uh, is being in the spirit of, of the person or yourself and kind of um, wa- you know, being able to dive into that and find something that is honest. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I think in the bottom line, the, the bottom line is I'm just a songwriter, you know.
1: And um, I understand that you have Desire Shape coming out in a few months. Is that still the case?
0: Yeah, that's still the case. Um, yeah, it's an acoustic kind of driven record. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about it.
1: And did you produce this one yourself or did you work with people like Mike and Carl on this one?
0: No, I did this one myself. So the first one, the conversation, you know, I hadn't put out a record for a long time. And so with that, I kind of I have all the gear, you know, cause, just because because of that uh, studio that I did have. And, and so I set out to do it on my own. And um and the thing that I discovered, and it's really hard to do a record on your own, because if you if you don't edit on a consistent basis and really kind of able to step back emotionally and see where you are, you'll get too far where you'll bury uh some of the mistakes so deep that you can't, you know, you really can't go back and, and fix them. And and so when I went into the, the conversation, which is the record out now when I first started, I went into it with in my own studio and I, that's what I was going to do. And I got to a point where I was sitting around with my buddy, Austin, and a couple other people were listening to it. And there's just several things that were too deep in the, in the, in the process to remove. And so that's why I, I reached out to Carl and, and Mike because I needed, I needed fresh ears. I was too connected. and um, and so this time I, I wanted to I w- just you know I wanted to see if I could um discipline myself and uh and from the experience of the first one I I feel like I did a better job you know because you can get really tied if you're doing your own music you can make choices that are really bad um because you don't know you lose your own identity and so you think oh this will make it cooler and that thought isn't part of the um the foundation. It's just a fleeting thought. And then you make those choices and then you just kinda get stuck. So I was I'm grateful um, that uh that I was able to be disciplined, you know.
1: It sounds like a Daniel Lenoir kind of situation where he's worked on these legendary albums, but that music has almost nothing to do with his singer songwriter career.
0: Yeah, no that yeah. I love what he's, you know, I love that El Teatro record. I love a lot of Daniel and Walsh records. His, um, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting, I've never had that uh, posed to me. So uh, I guess I need to say just thank you for that one. <laughs> My pleasure. So besides the new
1: record, are there any new or upcoming projects that you can talk about? Or really is the focused on the new record and any work you've done recently with Almond Betts?
0: Yeah, I mean, the Almond In Betts record is coming in June. So that's a big, that's going to be a really good one. I mean, that's got 13 songs. I think I've written 12 of them with those guys. And um, so that's a big deal. And then my record, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the focal point for me. Um, and so that, and no, nothing, nothing else right this second. Hopefully I get some, I get some videos, that sort of thing. You know, the, just the record cycle. Um, and I, I'm really grateful that I'm, I'm able to, you know, I wrote four records in the past, you know, couple of years. And um, I'm just grateful that I'm, I'm I'm being consistent, you know, and uh, that's the hardest part of this thing is not being discouraged or just, you know, or not being lazy and just continuing the process. And So I'm really excited about being able to do another record, put it out. And so now I'm just I'm thinking about new songs, you know.
1: Well, delving into that creative process a little bit, you could ask a thousand people and get a thousand different answers. When it comes to songwriter, then some people treat it like a day job where they write from nine to five. Other people kinda need a deadline. Other people can't really write unless they're in the room with other people. Now, given that some of your stuff is your own, some of it's for other artists, are you the kind of person that's writing every day or every week even?
0: No. Um no I'm not. I, I think uh you know there's a feeling that there's a um there's like an energy that comes when it's time to kind of like really write uh and kind of put down some experiences and i understand the the thought of like writing every day just getting ideas putting them down and and flushing it out but to some degree that's sterile to me because um because life needs to be lived and that it kind of comes back to to that interlocking that teacher for creative writing here and, and, uh, and experience life. You know, if you really want to be, if you want to delve into the arts and um, I'm a firm believer of that, you know, uh, that the experience of life is what, although sometimes it's just subconscious, it kind of gets in there and then you can dive in and and, um, extract it in a certain time and then that time has a certain feel and then you continue to shift your ability to shift maybe maybe you'll get stuck in kind of um, a certain sound you know I don't know I I, I I might be reaching a little bit as well but but I think um, but for me I, I thought a lot about it I think that you know it's, it's a meditation more than it is um, and it's a craft but the craft is like after you get the the inspiration
1: well two quick questions and then you're a free man and the first question (laughs) is it sounds like you're writing all the time you're around other artists all the time but when you're not doing music related stuff what do you like to do with yourself any surprising hobbies
0: well i love to fly fish that's that's a big thing for me i um that's kind of uh that's my, that's my hobby that I do when I'm out on the road. I love playing in, uh, you know, in Colorado and Wyoming and Montana and, uh, because then I get a chance to fly fish, uh, and that inspires me and kind of keeps me keeps me focused and, and happy.
1: Cool. So in closing, any last words for the kids?
0: <laughs> no, but thank you so much. You're great. Outrocast.
1: Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz, as produced by PureGrainAudio.com. Theme song by Steve Schiltz. Audio mix by Mark Piero. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.